Hey friends, Heather Avis here. I'm excited to share with you about the Lucky Few Foundation, where we believe storytelling is the key to shifting the Down syndrome narrative. We believe sharing our stories fosters empathy and it creates a kinder, more inclusive world. One of the avenues in which we do this is through our foundation and our storytelling project called This is Down Syndrome. This is Down Syndrome is a unique storytelling machine that we use to shout the worth of people with Down Syndrome. It is a project positioned to tell real, diverse, and inclusive stories, stories which will get real people having real conversations, changing hearts and minds, and shifting narratives. Stories which not only benefit the Down Syndrome community, but strengthen our collective humanity because it's one thing to know about Down syndrome, and it's another thing entirely to know a person with Down syndrome. This is an invitation for you to help us create a world where everyone belongs. The Lucky Few Foundation believes storytelling is central to this mission, and we invite you to join us. Head to theluckyfewfoundation.org to learn more. Let's get started <laughs> test 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 yeah <laughs> i'm excited for our live ladies as well yeah we're gonna go live what should we wear oh, uh, i was just saying that epic. today this is the part where that um josh don't make forget the edits, edits or doesn't <laughs> He edits it or he doesn't. Should we wear a bleep, 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 bleep? Trench coats. You do the bleep, math. Bleep, bleep, bleep. You do the math. Okay. We got nothing for this little intro part. Okay, ladies, enough of this nothing. Let's shout some words and shift some narratives for people with Down syndrome. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. All right, y'all. April, we're here. We celebrated Mercedes' birthday. Hello. April 1st. And then Truly Star. 37. 37. That's a big number. Good one. I like it. (laughs) I like 37. Is it a prime number? Ooh. Yes. Nothing goes into 37. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, why do we talk about math so much? <laughs> Micah, this is so weird. Why do you put me on the spot? Is that a prime number? When uh, we know. Special. I think prime numbers are special. Listen, oh my, gosh, my like, father-in-law and my stepmother-in-law, they only celebrate their anniversary on prime numbers. That is so silly. Wait, but what I'm you... glad you told me. Yes, it is a prime number. I'm glad you asked me. The answer is yes. <laughs> learn something new oh, oh my gosh you guys the amount of conversations we've had where we're like figuring math out on on the spot we could just link to all those episodes if you wanted to know uh, <laughs> 37 is prime okay world down syndrome day just came and went like the wind it did just blew off into the blew off into, into the, the blooming sun. flowers oh beautiful and the bees yeah. buzzed it past bees buzzed, buzzed it past, past. I know we were at a big event in Orange County and there were, I don't know, 7,000 people with Down syndrome Whoa. dancing together at one point. Oh, Not really. Well, Micah just thought that was a real number. No, but 
a no, dance floor. It's a prime floor. number. It's not prime. Seven thousand <laughs> is not prime. Um, <laughs> but it was so epic. Macy was living her best life in August, his worst, and that <laughs> is how different people with Down syndrome are. <laughs> It was so funny. It was so good. Macy was like on cloud nine. I've got good news. I can't wait to share at the end about something that happened at the end of that end of the night, but she was so giddy and it was so special because we just don't have a lot of down syndrome community in person where we live Mm -hmm. as in none. And I think it's really important to Macy and I don't have the chutzpah to like make it happen. It's not happening naturally. You know what I mean? It's not like there's a place to show up. And there we are with our, with her people, um, as a teenager, she's just growing. It's just so different. It's so different with a teen. And I just was so happy for her to have that night. And then of course you like, or I don't know if you get this, I like spiral into, into that. Now I need to sign up and start Mm -hmm. the thing and make the group and reach out to the people. And I just, you know, if you are in the inland empire, (laughs) start a teen group and invite us please because i don't have it right now yeah so much it's a lot Mm -hmm. of energy to make something like that happen Mm -hmm. i know anywho you girls had a good day a good 321 2022 yeah yes i did i got to go into aces school which was very exciting because the doors are open for parents now and So I went in with different, a great thing to be (gasps) and got to read to Ace's class. This is the best part. Ace, I haven't got to see him with his classmates. So he's sitting in circle time for me to read and he keeps grabbing the boy's hand next to him to use Ace always wants somebody to tickle his palm. And so he's like (laughs) trying to get this boy to tickle his palm. (laughs) And then the teacher's like moving his hand. And then his other hand, he keeps reaching for the little girl next to her and and touching her hair. And then then I got to do like a Zoom reading to all the other classes who wanted to Zoom in. um, And I read it again for other classrooms in the school. So it was cool. That's so fun. I got so many Instagram tags and shares of people sharing the book in the classroom and like stories and emails and really sweet things that people were sharing about their kids and their kids' classes kind of blew my mind. It was really special. I love that. Um, we kept it simple. We have some kiddos who had colds that week out of nowhere. So instead of the beat, um, where we were it was super duper windy so we skipped on the beach and we ordered sunflower got french fries for lunch which are her favorite and then um she got to pick the show she got to pick like two shows nobody else got a choice (laughs) which is a big deal in our household (laughs) it's a big deal in our household she got the red plate that says you're special today and then we had mexican food and um that was kind of it. We had a simple one because we were pretty much homebound that day, but it was consisted of food and her favorite, which is screen time, which we keep limited. So she was excited about it. So it was, it was simple and sweet. So sweet. I love our community. You guys are freaking 
love people with Down syndrome. Like I don't even, I can't even believe that we get to be a part of their lives. And then I just, um, when I was at this event and all, there's so many adults there from all ages. I was sitting next to a man at one point who's in his fifties. He was with his sister and then all these like in their twenties and thirties, some things who are all the best friends in the world. And it's kind of common for people with down syndrome to be a little shorter stature and I'm towering at five ten. And I love it. I did make my way on the dance floor a few times to get some selfies from with people. And (laughs) I am so tall, (laughs) but I mostly just sat back and was like, I cannot believe I get to be a part of this. These humans are just so good, you know, like, oh, so good. We love you. We love you, people with Down syndrome. All right. So this month, April marks Autism Awareness Month. And we know that there's a lot of people in our community, a lot of people with Down syndrome who also have an autism diagnosis and it's called a dual diagnosis. So we were going to talk about that. Micah's son, Ace has a dual diagnosis. And so we've talked about this in the past and, um, we just kind of wanted to start. And it's actually a topic that listeners have asked about that. We talk about it some more. And so we want to share a little bit more here and just basically have a discussion with the three of us. Micah's in the world more than, than Mercedes and I are. None of us are experts in this field at all. I, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about this. I feel like the autism community on its own and the downstream community standalone are so different. They have a similar thread in terms of being on like the disability thread, mm-hmm. but it's very, it's just so different. Mm-hmm. And then when you have kids who ha- who cross over into both of those. Um, so I say all of that in that I'm not in the autism world hardly at all, except for when I like dip my toe into the disability space at large. So Mm -hmm. that I, just to say, I don't have any, I'm not an expert by any means. I'm a learner for sure Mm. in this space. Me too. Well, and same, even though I am in the space more, in fact, today I had a meeting with ACE's teacher and I don't even know how to explain this woman's role. She's amazing, but she's an ABA expert. She has her PhD and oversees the education of the children in the program that ACE is in. But I said something to them about this podcast and I was like, I'm the only one with a kid with a dual diagnosis. And so I'm the expert and they, they laughed. (laughs) I said it self-depreciatingly, but they laughed easily along with me. So all that to say (laughs) that, um, I, this feels really, it feels really hard for me to talk about Hmm. because I still, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on three years into his diagnosis, uh, two and a half years into his diagnosis. And I still feel very new and very much like I don't belong in the Mm -hmm. autism community. Mm -hmm. And, and also that it's really hard to find community in the Mm -hmm. dual diagnosis um, space. So, but I, I want to talk about it and I want to give a lifeline to our readers. I mean, our listeners who are going through the same thing, because I mean, this is 18% 
of people with Down syndrome have this second diagnosis. And it's a doozy. It's a doozy of a diagnosis because you have the intellectual disability that comes with Down syndrome. But then, and autism is not an intellectual disability. It's a processing. uh, Like, what would you say? A processing challenge? A processing... I don't, I actually don't know. I was going to say we've, we've talked about language on the podcast before too. And I know autistic people, those who I'm listening to Mm -hmm. are very open and forward about, um, identity first language. So being called autistic, not a person with autism, but I don't know about how the autistic community feels about being called disabled. I don't know. Mm, Yeah. And yeah, this is another part that's really hard for me because I know how to speak in the Down syndrome spaces. Yeah. And I don't really in the autism spaces. But yeah, just to give our listeners kind of an understanding of like what what we're working with and what I am, what when ACE is at school being educated, right? There is, there is the first hurdle for him is how he processes the world and that's mm-hmm. autism mm-hmm. like he's there has to be a way in for him to communicate a way in for him to have his sensory needs met a way in for him to process numbers or colors or all of those things and that's the first big hurdle and then if if there's a way in then then you have the behind that you have the intellectual disability Mm-hmm. And I think that that is part of what I'm finally just kind of getting the language to unpack or to explain is that I, you know, when I'm talking to other families that or other other parents who are, are looking just at the Down syndrome diagnosis, there's not that first hurdle. And that first hurdle feels like everything right now. Mm. So when I was at at DSDN, I talked to some older moms of adult children with dual diagnosis. And this one woman said to me, it's hard to be here, right? And I was like, yeah, it is mm. hard. She said, I, I think I said something like, it feels like the needs around his autism are so strong that that is all I can see. And if we could ever get down below the surface of that and get to the place where it's Down syndrome and those needs that we're working with, it would feel like an entirely new world. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, you guys? I think so. I I do one, but also I'm not in this, so I'm just curious and asking you, you know, like... I can definitely see what you're saying with the processing and the relational part, right? Cause you're saying how we process the world and, and that relational part. And then, and, but you're kind of, if I'm hearing you correctly, compartmentalize it. Like that's just like the first layer that you're, that's, that's the forefront. And so the down syndrome part, like you kind of don't even not get to acknowledge, but like kind of 
do because you're just trying to do what's best for Ace to get to know him and communicate and help him process. And you're saying you think that's only autism and you don't see how that's not a part of the Down syndrome diagnosis in him. I, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't think that it's just autism Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I know like, but I, when I look at his down syndrome, Mm -hmm. it's, that feels, I guess maybe the thing I'm trying to say is that it feels like the, um, easy, fun parts. The endearing. Yeah. The part, like it, it's the part that makes him stroke the girl's hair next to him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the part that makes him really able to like send out love vibes everywhere he goes. Mm -hmm. But in terms, I guess what I'm saying is like in terms of communication, in terms of education, in terms of Mm -hmm. like, you know, getting to a point where he can like draw a circle Mm -hmm. or say, or know Mm -hmm. that he needs to use the bathroom mm-hmm. his building blocks right like mm-hmm. getting to where yeah getting so yeah I get it feels so he, there it's a whole I mean it, I it's think complex. that's why it feels mm-hmm. really complex yeah. yeah and I think that's why it's hard to find community in the down syndrome space because mm-hmm. and it's hard to find it in the autism space because yeah. there it's this really complicated um intertwined thing and I mean I think for me with the basic things that we want to see happen for him Mm -hmm. in the next couple of years where he has a way to communicate Mm -hmm. where he is able to start um, having those building blocks of learning knowing his colors and knowing recognizing numbers and letters and his name and being able to follow a verbal command, like mm-hmm. let's go down here or mm-hmm. let's go get your shoes and him be able to go and get his shoes. Like those mm-hmm. are things that um, I think the really hard part of being in the Down syndrome community with a dual diagnosis is that there's assumptions of like, well, of course our kids can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, my four-year-old can go and get yeah. her shoes and and, you know, we're, we're coming up on his seventh birthday and there's, it's that there's, I've had time to make peace with how much harder those things are. Mm-hmm. I, I hear all that, Micah, that thanks for sharing and being so transparent with that. seems like this could go like, there's like this deeper piece here, but do you feel a little bit that there's they're both like, there's this autism. I, uh, this is how I'm hearing what you're saying and what I, how I think about it. There's like, this is what autism is. Right. And it can be, there's a list of things that, that autistic that are common for an autistic person. Not everybody has it. We know this, but mm-hmm. these are like commonalities for an autistic person, commonalities for a person with down syndrome. Mm-hmm. There's some crossover for someone who just has a soul, a single diagnosis. And you've got this line that's super blurry and really thick. It's not like a thin blurry line. It's like a thick blurry line that even to say what's what, what is what, you know, um, and hearing you like that warm fuzziness, that's a down syndrome piece. It's not that autistic people can't be warm and fuzzy. Sure. Right. Right. Um, 
And it's not that people with Down syndrome without autism will be communicative. So then what's, so how do we know what's what? It's more like you almost have to go off of what are the most common characteristics right. within each diagnosis. But the thing is with a- with ACE and with all of our kiddos, like you can't pull it apart, I you know? know? So I would imagine in just hearing you share, even trying to navigate that, mm-hmm. like knowing you as my good friend mm-hmm. and I feel like I've been on most of your Down syndrome journey so far with Ace because we met yeah. when he was so tiny yeah. and how much you love him and you, and you love him, who he is fully and accept him who he is fully. What, as I'm hearing you talk, it just sounds like this, a heaviness, maybe it, not a burden, but just like a, like this weight of even that need to figure out what's what yeah. does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does does. And I, I really appreciate you helping explain that. And I, I, you know, this is a really challenging episode for me Mm. not because I don't want to talk about it, but because it's really, it's really easy. I think for me in talking about it to step on toes. Oh yeah. Like I, I I don't want to like, I, I don't want anybody to hear me saying like that that this autism part is, is something that I reject in him. Right. You know what I mean? I, I love who he is. I love his stimming. I think his stimming is like the cutest, sweetest thing. And I love play. Like I love the way he plays and the way he encounters the world. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to, like the things that I want him to have in this world. Mm. Like I want him to have friends. Right. Mm-hmm. I want him to have language. Mm-hmm. I want him to be able to hear what's asked of him and comprehend it and mm-hmm. be able to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. him to be able to tell me if his stomach hurts. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's where this conversation gets tricky because I, I think, I think there's this in between thing of, of course, I love all these things about him. Of course I accept him. Mm -hmm. And also how do I open up his world so Mm -hmm. that he can hear us and engage with us and, and, and be able to learn the things that I want him to learn so he can have a happy, fulfilled, independent life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Micah. I feel like what makes it sensitive also when we speak to other families and speak openly is because to get to that, everybody choose a different route, right? Like everybody choose what they feel is best for their family and has their reasons why. And I feel like that's when it gets tricky. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. the same way sometimes when I'm like, oh yeah, we don't really do therapies. Right. And it's not, and I would say that to someone else who's like got their child in full on therapy every day. And I'm like, that's great. Do it. You know, like it, it is, but it's hard not to feel like, why am I choosing the wrong method because I'm doing it and you're not doing it. You know, I can kind of feel so tricky Mm -hmm. and um 
I feel like since we kind of started you and I, I know because Macy's older Heather, I know you and I've been on this journey of like, okay, I've had Sunny when we do homeschool, she's in mainstream things. And now I too, Heather, you talk about Macy and finding friends. I'm like, okay, what can I do to like help Sunny's speech come out more? Is she kind of closing in now? Because now as she gets older and in this mainstream, her peers are talking so much and talking about complicated things and moving forward and all that. Like I sometimes wonder if she needs a better balance of that guard down for herself and being with her peers and possibly picking up more speech therapies. So now I need to rethink what we were doing before and try methods that I once maybe rejected or wasn't ready to put her in, or maybe the person who was teaching them, right. Cause we're going to talk about ABA, but maybe the, the way this company did that, or this certain person did ABA wasn't how I wasn't the best practice of ABA I've seen, but other people do ABA differently, right? Like it's just true. Like every, even speech therapists do it differently than other speech therapists. And some people have better methods, even better tools under their belt, or maybe things that fit your child individually. I just feel like this whole thing, not to add to anybody's mental plate, but it is kind of like you're weeding out processes. And as our kiddos grow, like you're going backwards sometimes and rethinking things that you once did not do. And then also learning about a new method that you thought was one way, but you're like, Hey, no, wait, actually, this actually sounds like what my kid needs. Why did I reject it before? I don't know. I just can see how it's sensitive and we have to leave space for changing our minds for our child and to also like, um, be able to hear all the information and filter it through without defense Mm -hmm. of personal with what you've personally chosen to do for your child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think too, with all of it is as allies in the space, we're speaking on behalf of, or coming alongside people groups Mm -hmm. and for so for the history of like for the history of autistic people it was like the negative stigma tied to autism how many years were people saying this diet and this vitamin will take away your autism and all these adult autistic adults are like do you know what that's communicating about me or like we're Mm -hmm. and we're living in that now we're Mm -hmm. living in like with our kids with down syndrome who are you know like pregnancies being terminated. And like, that's all still very real. And you've got people, adult people who now have access to all of people's opinions when there wasn't before have access and ability to speak for themselves. Like how, how long are able-bodied neurotypical people saying like, we are the voice for the voiceless and autistic people are like, we have our own F and voices. Like, can you guys back off? And I think that, I think that it's like a combination of all of that in that I think the biggest hurdle we have as able-bodied neurotypical people in this space is ableism in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And what that means is we raise our own kids and it's like an undoing. And I think it's a, for me, it's a constant undoing. It's, I have to revisit it. It's not like, well, I've undone it. Now we're good. And even like with Mason and adolescence and what is down syndrome? What is adolescence? And it's that thick blurry line. I don't Mm -hmm. know. 
what's what. And as soon as I try to figure it out, so then what, then I pull it apart and then what, um, and I can see like, then you can address certain needs and you can give certain supports. And I, I don't know. I, I just think it gets really, it gets really tricky when we're speaking on behalf of other people. And I, I don't know, I find in terms of like self-advocates and people speaking for themselves that there is, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Not a disconnect. We're going to get so many emails from people on this episode. There's, there's a difference for people with an intellectual disability versus who don't. So there's this video that I showed on Instagram a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago from open education, something. I'll, yeah. we'll have Open a link for it future education mm-hmm. yeah. and it's a man named Chris, an autistic man named Chris, who is communicating. He's being asked about his stimming and from somebody who's unfamiliar with autism, you would assume, I think a lot of people would assume that there's no way Chris could ever communicate and in, and Chris is super, super smart. And he's pointing at letters and he's spelling out all his communication by pointing at letters and he's stimming and he's explaining why he's stimming, but for so long, autistic people weren't, no one would listen to them, you know? And so I think that that's a big piece, even with the ABA therapy, which we can, we can kind of transition to that conversation. When we talk about in the past, we've talked about ABA therapy on an episode, people had really strong feelings about, about that. We know the three of us in like looking into it more and having conversations just as, as leaders in this space that it is a very controversial topic. And a lot of autistic people are saying, absolutely not. ABA is a horrible practice. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of autistic adults say that mm-hmm. and like, don't you dare do ABA it's abusive. I mean, it's extreme. It's an extreme yeah. feeling. And then you have a lot of parents who have younger kids, especially those in the down syndrome space with the dual diagnosis or not, who are like ABA saved our, our lives. Like I, this is the best tool that we've ever used when it comes to our child with down syndrome. And so that's, those are two huge extremes, but Micah, what share a little bit about your conversation with this woman that you were talking about, who is trained in ABA and like where, where your head's at with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't mind. Sure. And you know, I just say to just what you were saying last year, I did in our episode in April, I mentioned that ACE was in a school program that was formatted around ABA. It's, it's, there's a special program in our town that is connected with Columbia University and it's where Columbia like practices their, their ABA program. So they are training these teachers. They're getting their PhDs in the, in this applied behavioral analysis and then they're they're coming and using it in the school district so um that's i mean that's a whole thing right if you if you come if you hear me say that and then all you have in your experience is is what you've heard that it's evil that it is abusive Mm -hmm. then you are gonna have some real thoughts for me right Mm -hmm. um and I just want to say that for every self-advocate, every autistic person who has stood up and said, this is horrible and this hurt me, there's nothing like that. Their experience is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. 
And I also believe that the process has really changed and what ABA looks like has really changed in the past 20 years. I sat in a meeting today with ACE's teacher and then this woman with her PhD who oversees the, the ABA data and analysis and helps the teachers create their, I guess, processes for how they're teaching students. And the, the teacher who, who teaches ACE right now, she's been in, in special education for 20 years. And she said 20 years ago, she started um, working in a classroom that had ABA and she left because she was so shaken by it. Mm. It was not healthy. It was wrong. And what a lot of what was happening was that, um, I mean, even, I mean, you can go back and you can read about shock therapy that was used. Mm-hmm. It was, it was like the evil of ableism. It was mm-hmm. trying to shock people out of stimming. It was trying to like motivate children by taking the things that they love and kind of dangling them over their heads and they had to perform to get the things that they wanted. And so you have these self-advocates who experience that and like, damn right, it's a horrible experience in their lives. Right. I think it's really tricky Mm-hmm. Because it has the same freaking name as right. what it had 20 right. years ago. <laughs> I know. But, right. <laughs> but what I want to say is like what I am seeing and, you know, I sat down and just I part of my IEP is that I've requested that I meet with these two women and they show me what ACE is doing and, and I get to see it kind of monthly. Um, and it is like the most holistic way I've, I've ever imagined ACE being educated. It's beautiful what they're doing. Mm. And it's taking things that he loved. It's like a whole child approach. They're focusing on the positive. They look at what kids love and what they can do and motivate them by what they love and what they can do. And so ACE is learning how to count while jumping on a trampoline in the hallway. And the students in other classes come by and say hi to him because they're so used to seeing him jump on the trampoline in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's the motivations for him are not dangling things over his head. Like it's just letting him be himself, letting him stem and trying to um, like find those kind of magical spaces where you can get past the, the parts that kind of keep him from focusing so that he can start to connect his neurons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I have a question, Micah. Okay. Do you feel like, um, cause like Sunflower did ABA for a year in, um, when she was like three or four or three to four, maybe. And, um, it was kind of the dangling carrot in the sense that, she, they had, I gave them like a list of like a preferred book. Obviously the iPad was a huge preferred thing. And then one of her preferred toys, which was always a ball playing ball with her. 
And so like, once you did this task, then we'll spend five minutes doing something you preferred kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of task oriented and they would come into our house and then the, um, and I felt like she would melt down more when the, like, cause the fast pace of it was too quick for her, you know? And so like, I felt like it was frustrating for her to get her thing for only a short amount of time and then move on to the next thing. And she was young. And I felt like it was like, you know, 45 minute to an hour long thing you can, and you're actually kind of, depending on how you go through, you get more hours or less hours. So it could even be like, I could have had them in my house for like two and a half hours or something like that. Yeah. Um, do you think, and I actually did not love it for sunflower. I didn't love ABA for sunflower at that time, but do you think, are there different types of ABA? Are there different approaches specifically? Like, does that make sense? Is there different styles and approaches that maybe different companies take? I, I, I think so. And that in my so, early, right? in my early research, that's what I found mm-hmm. that there were some that were more old school right. and were a lot more, um, like you, you do these things and then you get this, you know, get this thing you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's and this, and this is part of the that tricky yeah. Like I was, when I was in California, the only option for ABA was someone in your home mm-hmm. and was there's these ABA companies right? and they have their like structure in the way that they do it. Right. And so what I am in now is an, like, is a public school system mm-hmm. and the way that my, the woman I was talking to today talks about it is like in the same way that's like in psychology, they have this word metacognition, which is essentially like thinking about thinking, thinking about how people think. Mm-hmm. And what, what they're trying to do is provide a structure of learning that an autistic person needs, like breaking down how an autistic person thinks mm-hmm. so that you can structure learning into that that like concrete and consistent way of learning. Mm. So, and that's why it's like a scientific data-driven approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically they're like breaking things down into pieces. So right now to teach ACE to respond to a visual stimulus, like he, what they, um, the goal is that they could say, ACE, take this to the nurse's office. And he could one day take the piece of paper and go deliver it to the nurse's office. But right now, he has to learn how to notice visual stimulus. Like he's got two laminated cards with a picture of the nurse's office door. And right now, he is learning to match those. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's like breaking down this, mm-hmm. this one big goal. Mm-hmm. And helping him learn how to notice. Hmm. And, and so, you know, as a mom, I don't know how that compares to this whole other kind of weird idea of what ABA is. Yeah. This old, this older version. Right. And I know that there are still like that older version is breaking things down into pieces in another way. 
but it's breaking it down into pieces with this kind of reward, like right. do your thing and get your reward. And this, at least from my idea and what I'm seeing is not a thing where you have to, like the motivator is what matters, not the reward. Mm -hmm. So that it's more holistic. And so like the gift for Ace is that he's going to match those two things and then they get to walk to the nurse's office. Right. So mm -hmm. it feels like a, like a, oh, I keep saying the word holistic. It feels like a natural response, right? Mm -hmm. It's just breaking things down so that it can make sense to him. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. It, it almost makes me think about what we've talked about so much on the podcast in different ways about like, what is our motivation for doing something for our kids? Like, are we trying to make them less down right, syndrome? Right. Are we trying to make right. him less autistic? And um, I, it sounds like from the little, the very tiny bit I know about ABA and even historically, and then the reaction that a lot of autistic adults feel about it, that there was a point when it was trying to make people with autism, not have autism. Like yeah. it was trying to like right. strip them of autism. Zap them um, out of it. Yeah. yeah. It was, you were getting in trouble for, for, oh. for being you. Right. You were, right. Yeah, like you were getting zapped for flapping your hands. Yeah. And so to, to what I hear you saying, Micah, the way that I'm hearing it is instead of, instead of having this behavioral therapy to help people with autism behave less like people with autism, it's seeing how people with autism behave and then helping or behaviors autistic people might have, and then helping them learn with those. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the jumping on the trampoline, like that's, yeah, that's, like you're saying this holistic idea that looks, yeah. sounds very much like helping your whole child to be who they are, their best selves. And I think that is for all of us who, again, are able-bodied neurotypical parents raising disabled kids, we that's, why are we doing the things we're doing always? Like, what is that mo right. motivation behind it? And is it to help our children be their best selves and function in a world that doesn't understand them. Like that's a real fine line there. You know, even the things that yeah. you're saying, this is what you hope for ACE, even in that list of things. And I think all of us can relate to this in our hopes for our kids, even that list of things that's like our hopes and desires are coming from a place of ableism, even sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. because we, we don't know otherwise, and we're still learning that. And because that is also the world we live in. Mm -hmm. So we would love for a world to one day, like embrace all of Macy's little quirky behaviors, you know, or embrace all the ways that ACE shows up or embrace all of the ways that disabled people and autistic people show up in the world. That is not our world. And so for our children to have a sense of independence and to have a sense of belonging, maybe even mm -hmm. there is a, okay, then what about these handful of things that we can help give our child come alongside them and support them so that they can be their best self with down syndrome, their best autistic self, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. And I think it is, it's a, it's a tricky line when to check in yourself of like, what in me is ableist in, 
in these wishes for my child, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. I, I think about like, I, I am scared of Ace being abused because he can't tell me right. that he has a tummy ache. You know, I, if he can't tell me he has a tummy ache, what else can't he tell me about mm -hmm. what is happening in his life? And so there's like, there's those very practical things of like, yes, I want the world to accept him. And also I want to protect him and he, I want him to be able to protect himself. Mm -hmm. And, and so of course I want him to be able to communicate. And you yeah. found tools to help bring that about. And I feel like that's a good mom, you know? I think too, something that I remember when we talked about on that first episode, when we kind of brought up um, self-advocates was that it's hard because we don't know if those parents felt the same way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like in retrospect, yeah. like, okay, AB, there's a program. Well, I, where do you go for help? You usually go to people who say they specialize in making something happen, right. That you kind of need to have happen for your child, or you would like to have happen for your child. So I, it is a fine line. It's a scary line. It's one of those parenting things where you can constantly question, are you doing the right thing? But like, you're saying like, you're seeing progress with face, you're seeing his joy. And I feel like I just want to encourage you in that. Cause I know it is hard to talk about, especially ABA. And then also talk about when you have a child with a dual diagnosis, I could see how you're like having to constantly navigate, you know, what's the best practice for your child too, because mm -hmm. it doesn't seem so streamlined as it can yeah. sometimes if it was just one diagnosis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're doing good. All that to say, I see. Oh, you're, you're doing, doing so good. good. And it's also like a very newly charted area. It is. Um, there's not a lot. 100%. I mean, it's a large population where there's a crossover with that dual diagnosis, but there's very little written research yeah, and research and resources and all of that. Our girl, Dr. Spinazzi, who we've had on many times and is a queen of the world of the yes. doctor world. <laughs> She was, she and her team have been working with autism speaks for a long time to bridge that down syndrome and, um, autism and that dual diagnosis communities. And then she, she just started like, or with all this work on world down syndrome down through 21 with autism speaks created a resource page that is there. I know autism speaks can be controversial yeah. as well. There's a lot of controversial things, rightfully so within autism speaks. I'm hoping people at the helm are shifting and adjusting and, you know, we're all making mistakes and learning and growing along the way, but this is really helpful information, I think. And, um, we'll have a link for it. And I probably, if you go to autism speaks, you could just search down syndrome and autism spectrum disorder. And then it just kind of lays it all out, what it could look like, what it means. Um, it's, and then all kinds of helpful resources for that too. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Good job, Dr. Smatsy. <laughs> so good. All right. Is there any, I feel like this was a very, it's a very tender topic. I like know. we said, there's stepping on toes and we know we're getting it wrong and we want to be learners. And so 
we do appreciate people reaching out and helping us understand better what we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we but appreciate think- grace as well. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I think just to remind our listeners that we are moms and we're figuring it out. And um, you, I hope that you know our hearts um, after listening to us all this time. If we said something that was upsetting to you, we hope you'll come to us with kindness and help us understand why. And um, that you'll also hear my heart in, in like what I am hoping for Ace and what I found to be a, a really helpful resource for him. Mm. Yes. And to the parents who are navigating a dual diagnosis, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And um, Mike, I appreciated your transparency at the beginning of this talking about, you know, meeting the other mom at the retreat who, yeah, there's just a feeling of being alone when you're in a down syndrome space and your child has a dual diagnosis. There oftentimes can be a feeling of alone and that's, no one wants to feel that. So Mm-mm. we love you. And we, as much as I can, in my experience with my kids, I want to hold it all with you and tell you, you are loved and welcome in this, all the spaces that we are in as a lucky few. That's for sure. Thanks friend. Yeah. I feel it. I feel Good. it. I am welcomed. <laughs> and so is Ace. Mm. I mean, freaking Ace in his face. I know you call him Ace Face, but his face, man. Oh, it's so cute. It's It's so cute. Okay, friends, we're going to wrap it up here. We are going to take a little break. And before we do that, though, let's let's celebrate some good news because that's always a fun thing to do. All right, we'll be right back. Micah here. Raise your hand if you're tired, overwhelmed, or if you simply need a little help finding your way into a slower pace. There's a new space where I'm exploring slowness, spiritual practice, and meaning. 15 minutes each week where all of us frantic ones can practice slowing down, learning to receive the goodness in front of us, and expanding our spiritual eyes to see what God just might already be up to inside all of us. Find the Soway podcast hosted by me every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will, I'll start. <laughs> yes. Okay. <gasps> yes. I have good news. Um, that, you know, we've, we've gone through these different seasons where Ace tries to use his voice more mm-hmm. and, so we've entered into another, um, the past week where he's making some new sounds and, uh, a lot of like, ba 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 and da da da. And I held up two books for him to choose from the other night for, mm-hmm. uh, for bedtime. And he picked Daniel Tiger by saying, da 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 da. And it was really amazing. Bye-bye. And I was That's so sweet. Really, and I said, Ace, you said Daniel Tiger. And he was like, yes, his face was all lit up and he smiled huge. And he was like, yeah, I did. I did say Daniel Tiger. Uh-huh. That is such yeah. good news. Yeah. That's such I good news. Um, I have good news about Macy. Mm-hmm. So we were at the Down Syndrome, Down Syndrome Association of Orange County, Down Syndrome World Down Syndrome Day celebration. And she danced all night 
and to the last song. And there was a woman on the dance floor with Down syndrome who had some moves, like really good moves. Macy has, Macy's such a good little dancer and she'll get into like a rhythm, almost like she's like, she's like stimming mo- yeah, movements. Yeah. And then when she, in a certain time when she's dancing for a long time, and then she just brings it and I can't even with her moves, <laughs> but there was a woman on the dance floor that Macy kept kind of following around, like being close to. She was like this salsa dancing diva <laughs> extraordinaire. I mean, she was so good. And probably she was probably in her twenties or thirties and afterwards we're done. And Mason walks up to her and Mason says, excuse me. She says, what's your name? And the girl says her name. And then Mason says, I love your dance moves. (gasps) And it was like such good language. And also, um, at Mrs. Brown's house, they do, uh, they'll play a game like compliments and questions and they go around and like, give a compliment, give a question. And that's the first time I've ever heard her unprovoked, like go up and just like tell someone a compliment it was the coolest and she just like turned and walked away (laughs) it was the best so good do you have some good news for sunny oh i do she starts baseball this or i guess softball well it's like a baseball softball it's called challengers yeah i know challengers So we're doing challengers. That was kind of my like thing. I'm like, okay, we're, I've got her in so many things where she's with typical peers and nothing where she has her peers with Down syndrome and other disabilities too. And so we signed up for challengers. I heard about it the same day of their cutoff day. Wow. And I signed her right up and I just felt it, like job. it dropped on in my lap at the perfect mark moment. She's a part of the White Sox team. Yes. And she has a good it. throw. So I'm really excited for her to bring it. <laughs> That's so fun. <laughs> it is fun. I'm excited. Yay. Good Challengers. job. Good news, listeners. Woo. That was fun. Good news for everybody. Um, we love your good news too. So if you have some good news, you can reach out on the podcast page on Instagram, the lucky few pod, leave us a DM or just leave it in a comment and we can share it here on the podcast. All right. And you guys, I guess that's, this is it. It's time to wrap up now. Wrap up time. I'm going to say thanks to Josh Avis for editing this episode and to Vouch leader for producing it. And if you like this episode, friends, share it with your friends and family. Um, and we love some feedback and be kind and gracious in that feedback. <laughs> right. And while you're being kind, don't forget to subscribe. Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead, Check Merce. us out. I was ready. <laughs> Check us out um, at theluckyfewpodcast.com for all the show notes and information that you hear right here while listening to our episode today and on past episodes. And follow us on all social media platforms at the lucky few pod and listener you are slaying it you're doing such a good job and person with down syndrome you're loving with down syndrome is worthy exactly as they are and a gift to this world as they are we're so grateful for you we're so grateful for them we love you with our whole hearts we're cheering you on always and next week's a new week and a new episode can't wait to be together again Woo-hoo. peace peace y'all bye